Good morning. He is risen. So you do that in, in churches. He is risen. You say he is risen indeed. I, well, yeah, I'll say it first. I'm just giving you the cue. He is risen. You nailed it, church. Awesome. It's awesome to be a part of you here at Easter. I'm Pastor Scott. I'm so grateful to be here. A couple quick administrative things before we get into the meat of the sermon. There's a little slips of paper as you came in. On one side, it says, why? Why? That's our next sermon series that's coming up. Starting in a couple of weeks, next week, we're going to be doing a baptism Sunday. Cue you who? Yes, yes, yes. That was a very muted you who for baptism Sunday. I'm going to try again. Next week, we're doing a baptism Sunday. And then we're starting out the Y series starting in two weeks, which answers your questions theologically, scientifically, just about the Bible, about just faith in general. It really, the, Q, the subtitle could be Stump the Pastor, Stump the Pastor. Uh, we've had some already submitted on things such as uh, where, where, where do dinosaurs fit in the Bible, for example, or, or why are certain verses kind of complex and laden with, with other subtext? We are going to try to make a sermon series out of your questions. Put those in the offering period as you leave. On the other side, it says wise council nominations. Here at Element 3 Church, we use a wise council who oversees, who's in effect my boss. And so if you'd like to be my boss... Fill out the form, put it in the offering pyramid as you leave. We're just looking for nominations at this point, and for sure, prayerfully nominate others who would be good for that role. Lastly, thank you for giving me this job. I am so, just by the bottom of my heart, in all honesty, this has been the most tremendous opportunity of my life and my family on behalf of them. Just love it here in Tallahassee at Element 3 Church. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I will say that this time last year on Easter Sunday, I was outdoors in Lincoln, Nebraska in a parking lot with a little FM radio during a blizzard. It was 20 degrees. It was snowing. I was on a stage, and I watched the FM tower collapse during a big gust of wind. So this Easter already tops last year's. I'm surprised how great it's been today, and surprised, too, seeing all those kiddos in our E3 kids doing an Easter egg hunt. We actually were short on eggs. We went to the emergency egg stash this morning, so it's awesome to see our kids wing full, youth hiding Easter eggs. This is a joyous morning, and it's been a surprise. So let's talk about surprises. Surprises trigger our brains to figure out something new. We all have patterns that we go through in our life. Many of us have a commute that you can do with your eyes closed. You know, some of you know the timing of the streetlights, and you know if you miss one, you'll hit the next one, right? Yes, yes. Some of you have so many things routinely done that you know exactly when you're going to go to the bathroom in every single day. Yes? You, tell me you're my people. Don't leave me out here on an island. There's a schedule, and I know I will go to the bathroom. But there are times in our lives where there's a surprise. Something changes, and we have to figure out why that is. Our brain has to recalculate. For example, raise your hands. If you're online, please chat in. Raise your hands. How many of you dream in color? How many of you dream in black and white? There's a couple hands. If you looked around the room, how many of you don't dream? That's, we'll talk to you, that's a whole other group. No, don't, don't raise your hands. Here's the point. If you look scientifically, and scientists have studied this, from 1900-ish, when they started recording the color of dreams, I don't know, to about 1950-ish, dreams were almost entirely in black and white. From 1950-ish on, 
Now more people dream in color. Do you know why? Color television. Color TV has changed how we dream. And so therefore, my thought is, in pretty soon, in the next few years, I'm gonna start dreaming in 4K. (laughs) What I just did is I gave you some information. I made you think about something. I surprised some of you, although some of you obviously knew Color TV. Thank you for coming to the Sunrise Service and hear this before. But some of you are surprised with this. And so your front brain, which is your, your, your brain that, that analyzes math and does complex equations that thinks at a higher level, is engaging this information. Now, some of us, we're going to have to think through that. But others, as we think through this, that was supposed to happen more flawlessly. How many of you were surprised by that? A couple, okay. Yeah. If I can incorporate fireworks into a sermon, the sermon's much better, by the way. But in all seriousness, that's your back brain that just flared up. Your back brain. Your back brain is the primitive type of your brain that analyzes surprise and has three different responses. Either fight, flight, or freeze. I told the security team, I'm using fireworks from stage. Don't come and tackle me, security team, while I'm preaching. Some of you are saying, oh, something exciting, something new, something popped out of the sermon. I'm going to run away. Or some of you just said, I'm just going to try and stay as still as possible so no one knows if I'm here or not. That's your back brain. Front brain responds to surprises in one way, tries to think through how can I solve this equation, this problem, this new information. Back brain's like fight, 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 flight, or freeze. But I want to tell you, based on Easter Sunday, of a different type of surprise. Soul surprises. Soul surprises. We're going to look to the book of John and the book of John is a fascinating book. It has so many different stories than the synoptic, Matthew, Mark, Luke. John fills in a lot of cracks. He gives us new stories. And the resurrection testimony from the book of John is just that. John is this beloved disciple. We don't ever hear his actual name. He just refers to himself as the one who Jesus loves. And we see in chapter 20, we're going to get into the meat of the text, appreciate Jay setting the stage for us, that these women come to this tomb and they're going to embalm Jesus's body, but it's gone. And so John, the beloved disciple, and Peter have a foot race. John's a little faster. He waits. Peter goes in, and all they find are the burial cloths. More on that in a moment. But the fascinating thing is that this beloved disciple believes, though we don't hear what yet. And they all go home. They go home. They don't know what to do with it next. Mary Magdalene stays. Mary Magdalene in John's gospel, we find is healed from a lot of demons. We don't know how many. We don't know when this exactly happens. But from scripture, we know that she's a follower of Jesus through his entire ministry. And John gives us the point of view of Mary as she beholds our risen Savior. We're going to be in chapter 20, starting at verse 10, right where Jay left off. Then the disciples went back home to where they're staying. They're confused. They're surprised, but they're not spiritually surprised. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now the tomb was a horizontal chamber cut into limestone, and that's what Jerusalem is built upon, limestone. Many tombs had smaller chambers, and you'd have and make these tombs in order to bury the dead. Jesus is found in a brand new tomb that had just been cut by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. But in these tombs, they would have different chambers where you'd have different family members reside with you for eternity. So you'd 
similarly to what we have in grave, gravesides, uh, grave, what are those called? Graveyards. Graveyards. I kept saying graveside. Graveyards. They would care for their dead and they would place them by family unit. And so you'd have one unit where a person in your family would be, aunt and uncle, another unit where you'd have a brother and sister, mom and dad, and you'd build and go further and further into these catacombs where you would lay the dead. Now, what they would do is they'd put a stone in front of these tombs. It kept out animals. You don't want that. It kept out robbers because these people would be buried with valuable jewelry and other items. And lastly, it kept out the smell. Remember, this is a dead body. This is not something that you want just having about. The point of this is that the Jews cared for their dead. And they believed certain aspects about death. For example, day one of being dead, you still could be resurrected. Everything's still mostly connected. Day two, still possible. Day three, no way. Day three, the decomposition of the body. We make it impossible for the surprise of a resurrection to occur. And that's why in just chapters earlier in the gospel, when Lazarus is resurrected by Jesus on day four, the people are shouting, Hosanna, 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 just a week four. Hey, he, this guy raised a guy from the dead in four days. What else could he do? Maybe he is the one, the Messiah we're all waiting for. There's no description given of these angels that Mary beholds. When they appear, we don't know why they're angels and how we know that they're angels, but it appears that they are the people who they say they are. We don't know if Mary can't recognize who they are because of the crying and the tears streaming down her face. We don't know, maybe it's just the grief that makes it hard to discern who she's even talking to. But we have the benefit sitting here of not maybe being surprised by this story. Many of us have been to Easter services before. Some of you have been to several Easter services before, and you say, I know this story, Pastor Scott. I've heard this 50, 60, 70 times. I dress up. Where's my see your sucker suit guy? You look good, man. You look awesome. There's, there's, I dress up and I come, but I'm, I know this story already. I'm not going to be surprised. But for Mary, she doesn't know the end of the story. Resurrection is impossible in her viewpoint. Prior to the story, we see that John himself, the disciple who Jesus loved, believing that there's a resurrection because the burial cloths were taken off of the body. They were laying on the floor. No grave robber would take off the burial cloths because then you're touching everyone. Ew. In this moment, we see that Mary does not have the capacity to believe. She is obsessed with the tomb, with the body, but cannot see any point of having a resurrection. We see this in the following verses, verse 13. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not recognize and realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will come get him. Mary's response shows that the sorrow and the grief is so overwhelming that she's not even thinking logically. It's all the back brain for Mary right now. She, she never even paused how she would drag a giant corpse back from wherever this gardener had taken him, maybe. Maybe it would be a new spinoff of Weekend at Bernie's. 
We're that church, I'm sorry. (laughs) I laughed at it, so you should laugh at it too. She wanted to honor Jesus even in this awkward, unexplainable moment. But again, still thinking in her back brain, fight, 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 give me his body back. The emotional response to seeing his body gone has that back brain flaring. The jarring events of the past 72 hours still have her in a state of shock. Surprise can't even become a remote possibility because of the numbness of the trauma. Here, Mary Magdalene can only observe, only see the person standing before her, but she cannot experience that it is Jesus himself. Her grief is too overwhelming. Her ability to comprehend what has happened is too small. I would believe that based upon the last three years, we've all racked up some pretty weighty trauma, both on our brains But friends, what is the trauma that's been done in the past three years to our very souls? How many of you missed coming to an Easter service like this? How many of you missed those traditions because of the past three years and the back and forth and the seesawness of new viruses and new variants, of unexplainable war, of trauma upon trauma upon trauma, yet the surprise that a soul surprise can bring can refocus trauma and bring new meaning to what I've gone through in the past. That can only come not through my brain processing something, but through my very soul, the eternal part of who I am. Here's how this works for Mary. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni! Here, Mary experiences a whole new level of surprise. This isn't a brain surprise. This isn't a firework. Whoops. This is a soul surprise. One of the strange commonplaces of life is that the most penetrating utterance one can understand, no matter who it is spoken by, is a personal name. The way someone says your name identifies the speaker. I know each one of my four kids by the way they say dad. They all are just subtly different. It's the same word, but I know who it is without being able to see their face. At this moment, at the second, we see the movement from rational sight to intimate experience and to belief. She knew it was him. It was no longer impossible. In fact, the impossible became possible by the utterance of her name. This man is risen from the dead. Defies all logic, all science, all rational thought by one unexplainable act. Mary is surprised back to her senses. This isn't supposed to be a surprise to re-see her life or to be shocked in some primitive state of thinking. No, this surprise reorients the soul to the perfect state of self that it needs to be. Have you experienced Jesus saying your name? Have you had this sort of spiritual surprise in your life? Do you need to hear your creator, your redeemer, say your name to bring sense to these past few years? When you hear this, you know this truth that's on the screen right now, verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. 
For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Look closely at those pronouns. Look closely. This turns all of Judaism on its head. This is no longer a foreign deity or someone you have to do offering after offering after offering to atone for your sin. No, this is a personal and relatable God who is your God, friends. It's absolutely possible to go through life not knowing what you believe and why you believe what you do. And I've been there many times. But throughout the book of John, over and over, Jesus illustrates that intimate belief begins in him alone and intimacy with God begins and comes through him. There are no gray areas, no Jesus plus fill in the blank. But true belief in the one God who sent his son to take away the sin of the world. Have you experienced the spiritual surprise that Jesus wants you and knows your name? Jesus doesn't care about your background, your genealogy, ACT or SET score, your salary, your resume, your looks, your weight, your height, or anything about you except that he cares so much that he made you just the way you are and is willing to die for you on a cross and then rise again. When we believe the surprise, the application is inevitable. See the response here from Mary Magdalene, verse 18. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Do you hear Jesus calling your name this Easter?